one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team has worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. Alright, and welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space, episode 1003, for the week of Monday, March 5th, 2018. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. And I'm totally exhausted, Sawyer. We're dealing with uh, another uh, nor'easter here in the Northeast, and I am just totally sore with... with I, I'm through with winter. I'm, I'm ready for spring. <laughs> I can't say I hear you, because in Florida, it's not like that at all. But uh, thank goodness for Goes 16 up there watching over the East Coast weather. Yep, and uh, it will soon have a partner, which we will discuss in a little bit. Exactly, but first we have to welcome as well Kat Robinson. Hi, it's great to be here, and unfortunately it's cold in Alabama too, so I want to know what happened to my spring. (laughs) Yeah, all of our springs disappeared. Even here in North Florida, it drops into the 40s at night. Yeah, we got a freeze warning. I looked at my phone this morning, and I was like, no. (laughs) And I should clarify. I was like, oh, 40s. That's warm. 40 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) Sorry. Mark Ratterman is finishing up his first robotics, and we hope to have him back on the show very soon. But in the meantime, we've got a lot of space news to catch up on. I do want to mention that, holy moly, did we get a lot of viewer response. I don't think we've ever had that much viewer response to a single episode since back in the shuttle era. A lot of you had some very strong opinions about our thoughts on Falcon Heavy. Um, we responded to many of you. We got emails, Facebook, twi- a lot of Twitter messages especially. Um, so we are not going to change our position on certain things, but we do want to clarify our position. And uh, that will be towards the end of the episode. So stick with us and we'll explain ourselves a little more. If you are listening again, even after all those comments, thank you for coming back. <laughs> So let's get started with what you came for. That's Space News, and we're going to begin with our launch roundup. So the first one of those is going to be an Atlas V 541 rocket. That sounds familiar. The last time we had one of those was the GOES-R launch, or GOES-16 now, the most advanced weather satellite launch to date. Well, its twin made its launch debut as well, GOES-S, now to be called GOES-17, successfully lifted off from the Kennedy Space Center March 1st, 2018, at the top of its launch window at 5.02 p.m. Eastern Time, 22.02 GMT, from Slick 41 at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. The satellite will now be covering the west coast of the United States, as GOES-R, or GOES-16, covers the east coast. Yeah, Sawyer, one of the neat things about uh, this particular ghost satellite is it's not only just going to be looking at weather, it's going to be looking at other other things that the West Coast really, really needs. It'll be helping out with fires and, and things like that. It'll be keeping a good monitor on, on those. So 
if perchance it gets the West Coast, especially uh, California, really gets uh, almost to be like a tinderbox sometimes, and uh, uh, fire departments and uh, the first responders and people that battle those blazes really need a good hand, and Go17 will be there to go ahead and do that and, and help them out. It will be eventually called Goes West, but uh, uh, it's good to see the bird going. So speaking of this launch, I know that I think both Gene and Sawyer, you both know Mike Seeley. Uh, he took this ridiculously cool picture of the launch. So he did this, uh, one of his images from the pad rocket, but then animated it with this app. And it's yes. so cool. Yeah, with the up close of the uh, RD. Yes. And yeah, the engines. It's I, crazy. I mean, he. I mean, he has some really. His pictures of the uh, Falcon Heavy test were pretty good too. I mean, he is. He's one of my favorite photographers, and we've worked with him, and I think we've even used some of his images on um, on our shows previously. But I just, I don't think I can let any discussion of this launch go by without mentioning that picture because it is just. One of those things you can just stare at and almost hear that Atlas 541 just hit you. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it, it does hit you. If you want to hear what a 541 sounds like, go ahead and listen back to our episode from Season 8 where we covered the Goes-R launch. And uh, you'll learn basically a lot about Goes-S from hearing about Goes-R, which, uh, I mean, this totally changes the game. It basically goes from uh, getting images every five minutes or so in standard definition to getting images every few seconds in high definition near ultra high def. Yeah, and that that Sawyer is so so important when you're you're trying to make long term predictions and and really really understand what weather patterns are doing. You know, especially in in times like this where we've got you know a, a second nor'easter you know praying havoc on. Uh, on, on the East Coast here, those images really, really help. And I believe uh, Go 16 has been really, really pivotal in helping uh, weather forecasters understand what's going on with this, but with these two systems that that have hit us. Uh, so uh, it's good to see that the West Coast in the United States and really the Western part of the, the entire hemisphere there uh, is going to be uh, um, under uh, under that uh, that satellite's protection. So... It's a good bird to have in our uh, weather portfolio, and uh, you know, congratulations to NASA, NOAA, everybody at United Launch Alliance, um, the 45th Space Wing, uh, everybody that went ahead and really, really had anything to do with uh, with this with this particular bird, Lockheed Martin, and so many others. Exactly, and uh, if my numbers are correct, I believe that's the 76th ever successful launch of the Atlas V rocket. And we've got two more GOES satellites in the work, GOES-T and GOES-U. GOES-T is scheduled for a launch in 2020. GOES-U is scheduled for 2024. So we had another launch, and this was interesting. The Falcon 9 launch carrying Hispasat was scheduled to launch prior to the Atlas V. However, they delayed due to a fairing issue. SpaceX had requested to launch on the exact same day, March 1st, as the Atlas V. So they would have been hours apart from each other, one at 12.30 in the morning, the other at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. But this was the first time that they had ever requested to have two launches on the exact same day from the same range. It was later denied, but it's just fascinating to think that we're getting close to the point where there are so many launches that we are trying to get two launches in the same range on the same day. 
Yeah, and the reason why Sawyer, I think it was um, uh, the possibility of uh, contamination of you know the vehicle or launch elements uh, from one to the other, which is why the the forty fifth Space Wing just said, uh, "No, thank you, we're not going to do that." And uh, but I, again, this is something Elon Musk has has got in his in his mind. He envisions sort of an assembly line kind of thing. Where you know you have multiple launches going on at the same day, at the same you know theoretically even at the same launch pad. Um, I think that's what he wants to configure the the Browns his Brownsville site to do, and he's talking about uh, that site going online. I believe the magazine Teslarati reported that they want to go ahead and get Brownsville up and running by the end of the year, which I think. I don't know. That might be a little ambitious. Opti- yeah, I was going to say optimistic. Um, but hey, ambition is good, and uh, if it means that they get it built quicker, all the better. But I just thought it was fascinating that we're getting that much closer to multiple launches in the same day. Yeah, and I think that's again, great. the fact that there's a need for multiple launches in the same day is there though? I mean, because because they've. I guess this is really really the SpaceX business model. They're envisioning. You know, again, an assembly line kind of thing where you're launching, you know, 20, 25 times a day almost. Look, if I, as long as I get to get up to space, if that makes it cheaper for me, I'm all for it, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's this, there's this, this is a going to be a, a bit of a tangent, but I think it's, you know, it's important because we all think, you know, what is it that gets you interested in space? There's this uh, short story by one of my favorite authors, Diane Duane, uh, called Uptown Local, so... Um, Huge fan. Anyway, but she writes a lot about science and space and, and things like this. And in one of them, uh, her two characters are visiting JFK, which is no longer just an airport, but it's a spaceport. And they talk about how, you know, there's all these launches for people commuting to and from space. And um, I'm all for that. Please let us have a spaceport that allows me to commute to space for my work and come back. That would be I'm, I'm all for that. And also speaking of this launch, which, you know, was really cool. Um, we were just talking about with the uh, Atlas launch, the cool launch photography. Same photographer, Mike Seeley, also got this really cool composite image that he did of, of the um, Falcon 9 launch, which is 70 minutes of stars with three minutes of the rocket. And it's, it's a really cool picture. So if you're, if you're into launch photography, as I know all of us here on the show are, um, there's some, he's been doing some pretty cool things lately. So you should check him out. He's at Mike underscore Seeley. Yes, he's worth checking out. And I should point out, we haven't even mentioned yet that that launch of uh, Hispasat successfully took off at 12.33 a.m. Eastern Time, 5.33 GMT, just this past Tuesday, March 6th, 2018, carrying the heaviest ever payload for a Falcon 9, according to Elon Musk. So Hispasat 30W6 is now in its uh, geostationary orbit and uh, that was the, get this, 50th successful launch of a Falcon 9 rocket. As crazy as that is, they, they have not been launching for that long, and they're already at 50 launches of the Falcon 9, and 49 of those launches going successfully. And that's a milestone for them, and they've they've really, really done a, a you know, yeoman's work with that, Um Hats off to them. Hope wishing them uh, continued success. And their their next uh, NASA mission is TESS, and uh, which is basically the successor for Kepler. So uh, 
you know, they're they're getting some high profile flights, uh, and uh, uh, NASA just recently, uh, I believe, when you know, in between the last show and this one, they basically certified um, SpaceX to deliver science uh, science missions to uh, to wherever they need to go. So again, that's a that's a huge plus for for them. So again, things are kind of moving along with them and uh as we'll we'll talk a little later too uh they may be part and parcel of the upcoming uh, exploration portfolio that NASA's looking at so um it's going to be an all hands that's going to be like an all hands on deck thing and i think they're going to be a part of that as well exactly and they've got uh, another busy launch schedule coming up again uh, their next launch is scheduled for March 29th out of Vandenberg Air Force Base that'll be the next 10 Iridium satellites uh, 41 through 50. Their next launch out of Cape Canaveral will be another resupply mission to the ISS, April 2nd. Uh, they're also planning another launch in April for another telecommunications company based out of Bangladesh. They've got tests coming up also in April, so they have at least uh, five missions currently scheduled for April, and at least one more scheduled for this month. So they've got a busy launch schedule ahead. And you know, they've they've got a lot of milestones to hit, and you know, gosh darn it, looks like they're 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 hitting them. So uh, uh, hats off to them, and hope the cadence continues. Yeah, their goal is thirty launches this year, and uh, we'll see if they do it. Last year they came awfully close to twenty. Do you think we'll at least break the twenty from last year? If they keep going the way they're going now, and they're able to hang on to the cadence and still hang on to all the safety standards and all that good stuff, you know, they don't cut corners, they may do it. I think they can do it, um, and I certainly hope that they do. More launches, more rockets, I'm happy. <laughs> exactly, can't beat that. Uh, and in fact, uh, it's not just Falcon 9s coming up, there are more Falcon Heavy launches this year. should point out that the next Falcon Heavy launch is currently scheduled uh, for this summer. It is one of three more scheduled for this year. And it will be carrying, for the U.S. military, the STP-2 mission, or the Space Test Program, that was just announced last week. Continuing with our launch roundup, well, we gotta talk about landing before we get to our next launch. And that was three crew members returning back safely from the International Space Station after a long-duration stay up there. So NASA astronauts Mark Bandahai, Joe Acaba, as well as Russian cosmonaut Alexander Masurkin, Safely landing back at 9.31 p.m. Eastern Time, right at the end of February, completing their Expedition 54 mission. They did a few spacewalks while they were up there as well. Mark Vandehei logging 168 days on his first mission into space. And Joe Acaba now has over 300 days in space over three flights. He also participated in a whole bunch of educational events while up there as part of NASA's year of education on station. And Mazurkin also setting a record with his spacewalk uh, for a total time outside of 8 hours and 13 minutes, the longest in Russian history. Yeah, sorry, Joe, Joe Akabe used to be a teacher. Correct. So, you know, he was probably the... Uh... Uh, the best, uh, the best qualified, if you will, for for that, and I believe too, uh, he was uh, going to go ahead and do the entire uh, scholastic demonstrations that uh, Chris McAuliffe planned to do on STS fifty one L. 
Yes, it was announced that they will be doing Kristen McAuliffe's missions on board the ISS as part of this year of education on station. And he was probably the the best uh, the best uh, uh, individual to go ahead and 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 get that done. So um, there was some other. You know, both sides had some very good successful EVAs. I mean, the the the, the last one. The ISS crew, on uh, at least on the American side, just absolutely breezed through it, made it look easy. The Russian side, you know, they had their their issues, but uh, uh, got some work done out there too. So, you know, uh, all in all, a, a good uh, a good increment. And uh, Expedition Fifty Five is now hard at work. Uh, it is. We still have uh, three astronauts on board the ISS right now, along with one American, Scott Tingle. Yep, uh, Scott Tingle is joined up there as well by uh, current commander from Roscosmos, Anton Shkaplerov, as well as Japan's Norshige Kanai. The next launch to the ISS is currently scheduled for March 21st out of Kazakhstan, and that will be carrying NASA astronauts Ricky Arnold, who we've had on the show uh, interviewing with Elmo, as well as Drew <laughs> Feustel, and uh, from Roscosmos, Oleg Artemyev will be joining them to make it six people once again on board the ISS which uh by the way while they were up there talking about you know all this other commercial space and everything they had four resupply missions come up there uh during their time OA8 CRS13 so one from orbital one from SpaceX and two progress missions so busy time for them ISS is certainly keeping busy but most importantly it is keeping its orbit unlike a certain other space station known as Tiangong 1 in case you haven't heard of it, that was China's first space station, which all of a sudden started going completely out of control. They lost control of it, and it's been falling back to Earth ever since. Now, they've been talking that it's going to come crashing down soon, and I think we actually finally have a crash window now of sometime between the end of March and beginning of April. So we've narrowed it down to a few weeks. Where is it going to land? Somewhere between 43 degrees north latitude and 43 degrees south. So basically, that's almost half the planet. So yeah, uh, that that's not scary, right? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, Grab your umbrellas and tin hats? <laughs> yeah, pretty hey, much. keep your space um, junk off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll guarantee that, you know, and again, I'm, I'm sure uh, all the zaniness that happened back in 1979 with... Uh, uh, with the Skylab reentry, people were in, running around with the Skylab insignia, wearing on on hard hats and things like that. Uh, those will will probably show up again, but you know, carrying you know the name of the Chinese space station and so on. But you know, the 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 uncertainty of this thing is we still don't know where this is going to land. China is basically saying they don't really have full control of this thing. Whereas even with with you know Mir, there was there was some level of control. Even Skylab, to to a degree, you could tumble it, you could do things with it, but you could not you know change its orbit. Unfortunately, this though they have absolutely no idea and no control over, and uh, um, it's a lesson really. Um, I think the last time Sawyer we talked about this uh, during the uh, the pre-show here. Uh, the last time we had this issue was uh, with the UR satellite uh, that NASA had, and that thing was about as big as a bus. This this, uh, this thing is, is far bigger than that, and uh, it, it really really underlines too that you know what goes up must come down, and there should be some level of responsibility 
um, for bringing something that large down in a responsible manner. And in this case, the the Chinese kind of dropped the ball on it. You know, I mean, even even during ascent, um, you still have these boosters because they they launch well inland. Um, you have these boosters landing in in you know just just shy of villages and. You see them, you know, you know the, the villagers going, ooh, wow, and, and all this other stuff, and watching these, these things kind of plow into the sides of mountains and big puffs of orange smoke. And, of course, we all know what that is. Uh, you know, I mean, that to me, too, says, you know, you've got to be much more responsible than that. And China's just not there yet, to be honest with you, with, with, with that kind of thing. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, the, the good news, I guess, is that the planet itself has is, is got a lot of water around it. And uh, hopefully that the orbit will carry it in harmlessly into one of the one of the oceans within that parameter. And again, Sawyer, the entry again, the, and I'm looking at an ESA website here. Um, this is, again, will take place anywhere between... Uh, I just want to make sure I got this right. 43 degrees north and 43 degrees south. That includes places like, you know, Spain, France, Portugal, Greece, and so on. And as we talked here, not to mention places here in the United States, Florida is also, you, you had mentioned, is is one of the, uh, the places that uh, could get, uh, you know, dinged by this thing but just remember until it comes down it's visible in the night sky and if if you know if if you want to go looking for it you can but uh my whole point is is the responsibility end of it and i'm wondering if if china is going to respond as uh as well as uh uh we did in australia when uh um skylab impacted there and uh you know pieces of uh of debris ended up in you know the outback and you know, the united states sent a letter of regret and so on and i believe too that there was a there's a littering ticket yeah that's what i was about to say <laughs> there was a littering ticket all done tongue-in-cheek too and uh you know i'm i'm i, I think nasa I, i'm not I, i'm trying to remember if nasa actually paid that there was actually nasa did not pay it however a radio station held a contest and they Thank raised you, money for it to I, pay I, off i was gonna fund. have to check with uh um uh, alice gorman on that one she wrote uh, a really funny piece about that and i i i'd have to go ahead and and and, and talk to her um I might see if I can if I can get her here to discuss that that whole thing because I I remember I was just a, a little you know biscuit you know uh, yeah <laughs> I was still living with my mom by then yeah uh, well <laughs> no comment sorry. so was I by sorry, the way sorry I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't help it but um, um, I wasn't even a twinkle in my dad's eye. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so this would be a little bit. Of, this would be a history lesson for you, you young whippersnapper. Um, the um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to 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 just bail out of it, it will be kind of interesting to see what China does if this thing does impact a landmass of some sort, and if they go ahead and and do essentially the right thing that that. That uh, you know the same thing that uh, we had to do here with the in the United States with uh, with Skylab. But again, that's uh, according to ESA estimated 
between March 29th and April 9th, although they say that is still highly variable, and again, between 43 degrees north and south, also relatively variable. So it does say area outside of these can most likely be excluded, though. So we'll uh, keep an eye on the sky and keep an eye on that story as well. Uh, while we're talking about space stations, I do just want to mention something really quickly here. Uh, IBM has done some pretty cool stuff, you know, with Deep Blue and with beating in chess and <laughs> beating people in Jeopardy. Uh, they now announce that they're going to be sending a creepy floating head to space. Okay, I, I may have misinterpreted that story I'm pretty sure you got all the facts bit. right. There's a creepy floating head going to space and it's IBM's fault. Yes, IBM is launching a crew assistant that uh, is being called Simon. And uh, yes, that that is an acronym. It's the Crew Interface Mobile Companion. I don't know how that works, but Simon for short. Uh, basically, it's going to be able to uh, recognize crew members and help its teammates. So it's kind of going to be like Alexa, a, a sort of a version of Alexa or Siri uh, for onboard the space station that will be able to do text, speech, image processing, and uh, retrieve specific information and findings, say, from certain science experiments. So it sounds really cool, but if you look at the picture of it, oh my god, it is creepy. And we'll be haunting the crew's nightmares. Yeah, I can just imagine sleeping in the cabin and just all of a sudden this little head just floats yes, by and, and just turns. Let, let's hope it doesn't just, giggle oh in the god. middle of the night either, um, like Alexa has been. <laughs> Start laughing. I just, I do have to say, though... IBM, I love that you called it an artificially intelligent orb. Like, just, it's just a fantastic <laughs> name. And it just, it inspires the imagination just in ways perhaps you didn't imagine. Well, the, the, if I'm not mistaken, Sawyer, the Japanese have had something similar to this. It's a small little little robot that uh, they've had, too, that is supposed to assist um, space travelers as well. Uh, I believe this was on, and I'm trying to remember what incre increment it was, but uh, I, I think uh, Koichi Wakata was, was the one that uh, uh, brought this little guy up with him. And uh, it was just this little robot that supposedly that would, uh, and I'm looking at, a, at an Atlantic article now, uh, dated uh, November 30th, 2012, uh, that basically it was designed to, to just to be sort of like a stress reliever. And hey, at least it doesn't smell. Yeah, true. Um, the um... <laughs> Although I really, I really do think... I'm not too sure. That, like, <laughs> IBM, like, missed out by not making this thing look like a soccer ball and figuring out an acronym for Wilson. Just going to put that out there. Oh, hey! At least they're going with that, and they didn't <laughs> yeah. go with Hal or something like that. Because do you imagine Did you Hal? See the, oh, the no. illustration well, of Simon solving a Rubik's cube. So, like, what I took from that is like Simon actually has like creepy telekinetic powers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh boy! Basically, you just have to see a picture of this thing. It uh, apparently weighs eleven pounds and is just going to be floating around and it's supposed to be able to learn as it goes they've literally been showing it pictures of alexander gerst from isa and it's trying to identify which pictures are alexander and which pictures are not okay alexander. now i've decided this thing is less creepy and more cool like teaching <laughs> things like we need to send like chris hadfield back up to sing it, songs with it's it self-learning it's <laughs> There's a great picture, by the way, of it trying to learn his face. They literally are holding his headshot upside down because, you know, 
in, in space there is no up or down to see if it'll still recognize them even floating upside down so it's uh it's cool and creepy all at the same time, but it's, uh, according to IBM, it's supposed to be able to help with checklists, um, and eventually they even hope it can help out with safety, such as giving warnings of impending failures before astronauts oh, might wow, see them Andrew. on a control board. I'm so. sorry. Hey, sure. I can't do Practical, that. but creepy. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say something like that. You know, I, I could already see this now, you know. Uh, I'm sorry, Scott. I'm afraid I can't do that, you know, during this increment, but um, the... Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, on 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 the on on the useful side, I guess. Uh, I'm wondering, Sawyer, too. It, could this thing go outside and do inspections? I mean, I know that was the original plan of uh, Robonaut, which that's a whole other story. But from what I'm seeing, this is uh, solely meant to help crew inside station. Again, this is this is for a personal assistant kind of. It thing. just doesn't even look like a real thing. Like it looks like. I mean, I know there's like a real picture of it like trying to learn the face but like it just it looks like something that came out of a cartoon yeah it's like how amazon and google you know their home systems they have ones that have screens now it's just like that except instead of displaying pertinent information all the time it's literally just displaying a creepy face until you ask for the pertinent information yeah, it, it's so wait if you normally have to say hey alexa or hey siri which i'm sorry if i just activated half your phones um <laughs> but to this one do you have to say Simon says before we ask him to do something. <laughs> That's what he says when he tells you to do something when he takes over the ISS. <laughs> oh. Oh my gosh. Again, as if the show wasn't going off the rails enough before oh, we are not even on a yeah, track. We're, we're, the, we're off the deep end. Right now. Probably with the with the Chinese space station. We're so off track we don't even know where we are. <laughs> Who knows where we're gonna crash? Oh. Simon says. <laughs> let's uh let's, Oh, man, let's uh, try and get back on track. We don't need another Tiangong or URs or Skylab or any of that. So uh, let's move on to something a little happier that also isn't coming crashing down. NASA's budget. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> on uh, Valentine's Day, NASA posted on their website a loving official post of the full 2019 proposed budget for NASA. And uh, just this past week, they, in fact, I believe it was on today's recording date, uh, they had a discussion with members of Congress about the balance of NASA's 2019 budget. And uh, Gene, you were uh, listening in on some of this, and there was so much information. Let's let's start breaking it down. So let's start with the basics of what do they say about NASA's 2019 budget? Well, the the, the idea really was to try to make sure that NASA was still getting the, the balanced portfolio that... Uh, was needed first. One, some of the uh, uh, commentary that was being asked was, you know, basically at uh, the only witness in the uh, in the uh, hot seat today, and that was Acting Administrator uh, Robert Lightfoot. Uh, a lot of the uh, the folks at uh, at the hearing were commending him on his work thus far. Uh, with keeping NASA afloat and so on uh, during this whole uh, kerfuffle that is going on with uh, the, uh, the the NASA administrator nominee. Um, in fact, uh, Dana Rohrbacher, uh, uh, Republican from uh, uh, from California, basically really, really kind of used the opportunity of the hearing. Uh, to uh, 
sort of fire all of his uh, barrels at uh, the Senate across the way and basically uh, blaming uh, what he he called a, quote, uh, set of bullheaded senators and not looking out for the benefit of the country. Uh, basically, he was saying that the whole whole thing was demonstrating their arrogance. Um, but everyone was sort of really, really saying, you know, is you know, the the whole idea too, though, is that uh, um, you have somebody sort of waiting in the wings, trying to get uh, get in there, and uh, you know, being blocked. And uh, the question really was: was that really a uh, an impediment? And uh, Robert Whitefoot basically said, "Well, you know, he he's got access to all the people he needs to to talk to. Um, yeah, that's that's not a problem at all." But uh, he felt that. Uh, uh, you should have some sort of continuity in there, and uh, um, he's he he has also said on previous occasions that uh, he's looking forward to having a boss finally. Um, but he seems to be doing the uh, the work uh, rather admirably. Um, there was some offline discussions um, with me and uh, somebody else on Twitter. I I, I don't want to mention the name because I don't have permission to do it. But we were kind of theorizing. But I'm going to throw this 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 out to the panel here. Uh, do you think that perhaps Lightfoot might be sort of grandfathered into the job? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, you know, there are some people who are qualified to lead NASA and some people who are not. I have sat in the same room with Bob Lightfoot. He has answered my questions. Multiple times when I've been in the U.S. students meeting with him at IAC, I think three years now I've been in a U.S. students meeting with him, and every time he has impressed me with his passion for the space agency, his knowledge about the politics of the space agency, which is so important, um, especially as a political scientist studying space policy, very important, and he's just, he's well-liked and respected, and I cannot say those things about the current nominee. Um, you know, certainly there's some of them that I'm sure the current nominee uh, has, but when it comes to to running a, a space program, a civil space program that has a significant impact on world space policy, I absolutely 100% hope that that um, administrator, acting administrator Lightfoot gets grandfathered into the position because he's competent and we need competence. Competence is very important. I've been fortunate that I've met every NASA administrator that's been administrator since the early 2000s to present. And I can agree with Kat in that Robert Lightfoot knows his stuff. He's He's got it together. And again, after as long as he's been in the job at this point for over a year now, he's got the lay of the land. Admittedly, I don't know as much about, I believe it's uh, Bridenstine is the one who's currently the uh, awaiting confirmation. That's correct. You know, again, he may not have a science background, but then again, neither did John O'Keefe and James Webb, and they both did relatively fine at their jobs, from what I understand. And having talked with Sean O'Keefe, and especially now reading the book Remembering Columbia, of how he acted after the Columbia disaster, did a fantastic job from everything I'm understanding. And, you know, there's only one way to find out, but uh, at this point, I still think that uh, the president is going to try and get his nominee through. But uh, either way, if uh, 
if it is Robert Lightfoot who ends up getting the job permanent, I would not be upset. So I agree with with you. I think the president is going to try to do everything he can to go ahead and get the get his nominee through. But Kat, I have to go with you. Uh, Robert Lightfoot knows knows the agency. He's been around a while. He knows where all the levers are. And uh, if that happened, I would not be um, adverse to seeing it. I think he, you know he's he's done a an amazing job. Uh, as a temporary commander of, of the good ship NASA here thus far. And I think he's, shoot, we're now looking at what, it's been what, about two years? One thing with Bridenstine is I don't think he has the support of Florida senators. And I'm not sure that anyone is going to get this nomination without the support of Florida senators. And, you know, in a, in a rare show of bipartisanship these days, uh, the two of them are not fans of them. However, I'm pretty sure both of them have a lot of respect for for Administrator Lightfoot. So um, I think that Trump will try to get his nominee nominee through eventually. But whether or not Congress is amenable uh, to working with him or the senators who have the most say in in this particular nomination are amenable to, to working with him is yet to be seen. And of course, before we get feedback, there are many important senators... <laughs> And congressional representatives that have input into NASA, but um, Florida does tend to be the most visible beneficiary of NASA money, um, and so they do get a lot of presidents when it comes to these sort of issues. Yeah, and and Kat, I have I'm forced to agree with you there. Um, both Senator Nelson and uh, Senator Rubio are, are on the same page with their opposition to the uh, to the nominee, and I just I just don't see it happening without their support. That's it's going to be a tough slog, but. Trump might not get back around to it. He does tend to move off of things. Um, if we just look at, at, at how his administration, you know, once something doesn't go immediately through, he doesn't always move back around to it. And he may be content to, to, to deal with status quo in this. Um, so we'll see. Yep, indeed. Uh, one of the other questions, too, that was uh, discussed as well was the uh, facility that formerly called the Deep Space Gateway. There was some questions about getting money for that and talking about the International Space Station. If it goes past 2024, uh, is there money in the pool for you know running ISS and running this? And um, the idea I got from, from the discussion was that... Uh, he wants to really get commercial in the business of low Earth orbit and really wants to get commercial entities. He, he actually does believe that there will be commercial entities ready to go around the 2024-2025 time frame that, could, that NASA could theoretically partner with uh, to keep a foothold in uh, low Earth orbit, but not take on the lion's share of that. Basically, NASA would buy time on, say, like a, uh, a Bigelow or orbiting platform or some other orbiting platform that may, might be up there in, in low Earth orbit or, you know, even turning the ISS over to uh, a commercial entity that there's still some unwieldy parts to that. We're the only ones talking about turning ISS over to a commercial entity, and uh, it's one of the things, too, that the international partners may 
have something to say about it, but I kind of get the idea too that the international partners kind of want to move on to to the lunar surface too. So, DSG has been renamed to the uh, Lunar Orbital Platform Gateway. Thank which you. I am not a fan of because DSG sounds like it belongs in Star Trek, and LOPG sounds like it's a bunny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds, yeah, I was, I, was thinking, I, 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 plus the name Stargate, it just, you know, it's got that, that sci-fi sound yes. to it, but yes. that's a whole nother yeah. story on the naming. The, the big thing is going to be it eventually happening, but I yeah, know something exactly. that we talked about last episode of that we wanted opinions on. It's just, you know, the future of ISS, does it go private or not? Cause I know I've been to the ISS research conference for the past three years and, um, the big thing has always been not about, you know, oh, the ISS is ending in 2024. It's how much science can we squeeze in in this time? And everyone's going on the opinion that it's going to keep going past 2024 until they get the official word that 2024 is the official end date from whoever it may be. That's when they look at, okay, when are we going to start prioritizing science? But until then, they're taking anything and everything under the assumption that it's going to keep going. And Sawyer, there's a chance that it might but it, it it's sort of like who's going to be at the tiller, and it it uh, it may not be NASA. It may be some sort of consortium of companies that have have kind of gotten together and said, okay, we are going to independently run this thing. It's not going to be one company. It's probably going to be going to be several getting together and saying we're going to run. Or a- maybe you know what happens if it gets passed off to maybe not companies, but other, you know, newly spacefaring nations. That's a possibility too. You know, so, so I mean, there's some interesting things that could happen there. Yeah, exactly. So, but I get the idea that, you know, NASA really wants to get out of the LEO business and and wants to get on to, you know, the, the second half of this uh, journey to Mars portfolio, which by the way, that was not referenced, but the idea of going to Mars by about 2033 was mentioned all over the place during the hearing. In fact, one of the one of the uh, representatives, and I'm trying to remember who who that was, actually had held up a bumper sticker uh, that basically, you know, said, uh, "We want Mars by 2033," and um, uh, asked, "Is that still doable?" Congress has the the best show and tell items sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and yes, that was sarcasm. In case you couldn't. Oh, oh, I the, the, just just absolutely <laughs> dripping with it. But um, in in all honesty, um, he seemed to want to say that you know, shoot, we want to get to, we want to get to Mars, and and everybody was saying, well, we'd like to do it, you know, within our, you know, lifetimes here. Uh, the gentleman was saying, you know, I'm going to be. 76 years old in 2033 is that going are are we we on target for something like that and lightfoot said that it is doable but um you know we they still are looking at um the technical requirements and so on but he was saying that is a um a net 2033 for mars doable and he said it's it's a possibility um, and then was further pressed and asked, well, can commercial help us? And they said, absolutely. There are things that I could, you know, take off my plate, put it on theirs, and we can get this done a lot faster. Uh, it, it, the, the real emphasis on it, and he did mention this, he said the difference between uh, 1969 and now 
really is that in 1969 we were going on our own. Uh, now he says I have options. Uh, we've we, we've got other people that want to come in and help us out, uh, but they're looking for leadership, and they're looking for NASA to provide that leadership. And uh, I think that was really really the emphasis. Does does the world want to jump on this project? You know, going off, you know, going to the moon, testing our equipment there, seeing what other science we can do, not just lunar science, but other science that's going to get us to uh, to Mars and um, or aid in that. These are the things that he, he really wants NASA to get, get involved in. He said, we've got a bunch of nations that are willing to help us out to do it. So not only that, we've got uh, a lot of tools in a toolbox that uh, commercial has provided for us. And he sees all of this coming into play, but they need to figure out how they're going to do it. And that, that I think, is is what he was really trying to say. We need to go ahead and plan this out and make sure that we've got it right. But uh, he, he's still sticking to his guns by 2033. So you kind of balked at that a little bit. I'm cautiously optimistic on that one. But, you know, it, we, we've got to get to a point where... Oh, we've got to talk about lunar landers and, and how we're going to go ahead and get that going. I, I think at another event, Bill Gerstenmeyer, and he got absolutely, you know, lamp, lamp based. A couple of people were, were, you know, like clutch my pearls on Twitter. Um, basically, uh, Bill Gerstenmeyer said during one event, and I, 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 the, the event just ran and hid, um, that the, uh, the, the Apollo lunar lander, uh, would never pass muster as far as uh, the safety standards that are in place today. And, of course, the, the, the usual suspect, oh, you're being risk-averse risk and all this other stuff. you got to remember, too, there were parts in that thing that you could go ahead and put put a, you know, <laughs> if you're not too careful, you could put your, your, your foot right through. I mean, I mean, there were parts of that hull that were no thicker than, than two pieces of aluminum foil. So you want to make sure that that your next lunar lander is just going to be a little bit more robust than that. I remember the big discussion of, you know, with this new administration that it was going to be all about getting back to manned space. But from what I understand in this discussion, you know, as much as we're focusing on man's, excuse me, uh, on crude flight here, you know, it's... <laughs> Thanks, Sawyer. You're welcome. <laughs> I caught myself there a little late, but better late than never. Um they were really focusing on crude flight. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the senators or the people in this meeting were saying, well, shouldn't it be spread out a little more evenly? Because I know there's missions like W first, which, you know, is basically the follow up to James Webb, which everyone agreed at an international conference is what we want to focus on next as our next big satellite. And yet it sounds like that may go by the wayside because the focus is going to crew. Is that what you got from listening to this? Well, actually, Lightfoot basically said that uh, the astrophysics program was in good shape, which even considering the controversy that uh, uh, W-First is in right now and it's facing cancellation, if folks don't know that. Um, W-First, by the way, is going to be one of these flagship telescopes I believe Sawyer, its genesis can can go all the way back to a canceled uh, NRO program and NASA receiving this this device from there, which it was it was half finished, um, and uh, NASA was trying to figure out, okay, what what do we do with it? They got two of them. I think there were three altogether. NRO kept one, and NASA got two of them. 
and uh, W First was going to be the the one that they were going to use for this. For those wondering, by the way, W First is the Wide Field Infrared Survey Telescope. Lightfoot basically indicated that um, the reason why he's canceling W First is he still looks at that thing as yeah, it's losing that data is going to be tough. Um, but he he indicated during the hearing that he felt that there were other ways of getting that data that uh, perhaps uh, W first may end up being you know sort of a, like a, bl- a a black hole. Uh, so before it gets too out of hand, let's figure out another way of getting the data that W first would have gone ahead and compiled. Uh, and a far less expensive way of doing it. I think Lightfoot is looking at W first and seeing the unwieldy Hydra that it might become, and there's still a bad taste in everybody's mouth from uh, the uh, James Webb Space Telescope and how that's become sort of a a Hydra that needs to be tamed. Uh, And I believe, too, it's right now there are some other issues brewing whereby they may go go over this $8 billion cap that Congress has put on the, that budget so far. But I, I think the idea, too, is they want to make sure that W First does not become another JWST, another too-big-to-fail kind of thing. And Lightfoot is still thinking that this is that there's a better way of getting the data that W first would have would have gotten? Is it a wise move? Don't know. Uh, w first is a is an ambitious project. I'd love to see it fly, um, but if we're kind of looking at avoiding another budgetary black hole where money just sort of just gets sucked into and and goes nowhere, you know, I I can understand his trepidation, and in a way, I can almost understand. Uh, almost understand the cancellation of it. I can already see the letters coming in now, but... Don't worry, we made enough people angry last episode. No one's left oh, to send letters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do I think it, it, it's a tragic thing? Yeah, because the decadal study really, really requires you know this kind of thing being launched. But do I, do I understand it? In a way, yeah, I do. And we're trying to avoid the same trap that JWST has become. And I can't blame Lightfoot for for trying to avoid that that trap. There were a few. There were a lot of other things that were being explored here. Um, there was uh, some discussion, mostly by uh, by Representative Dana Rohrbacker. Again, another project, NeoCam. Um, basically saying is is that going to fly is that in good shape and and life said well we're not there yet but we do have another mission for those of you who don't know what neocam is neocam is something that's going to be looking for for asteroids that are coming at us in fact uh Rohrbacker, um the probably scared the daylights that have a bunch of school kids that were sitting in there uh on a on a school field trip basically saying that, you know, these kids in the back row, if we don't figure out what's going on out there, you know, with all these asteroids and these flying rocks coming at us and uh, we're not planning for it, the, the, these kids could theoretically be the, be the last generation. And I'm like, oh, good, let's go ahead and scare these kids while we're at it. But uh, Lightfoot said they are looking at, at, at programs like that. They're look, there's a mission out there called, called DART to see if uh, 
see if an asteroid could be deflected and so on, and that's something that NASA is looking into. Uh, Rohrabacher also mentioned one of uh, uh, our pet projects that keep flaring up too, which was orbital debris. NASA is also, their their office is still trying to go ahead and, and look at mitigation plans and so on. They also wanted to make sure that the aeronautics and um, the aeronautics program is, is also well-funded and uh, Lightfoot is of the opinion that yes, it is. Uh, they he, he highlighted several of the X-planes, um, the, the entire, I believe there's four X-planes planned. This was something, too, that Lightfoot really, really emphasized. He really wanted to make sure that people understood that they are really struggling trying to maintain a balanced portfolio here. But one of the other things, too, that somebody had brought up, basically saying that you can't do all this with a flat budget and... Um, Life has said, no, you can't. We're not going to Mars if the budget continues to be flat, period. One thing that, um, that I think is really difficult for NASA, and not just for NASA, but for all of our space sectors, um, so civil, military, uh, commercial space, is that we don't have a good understanding that these projects are generational projects and require funding commitments beyond every year. Um, we've talked about this before on the show. Um, and I mentioned to you, Gina and Sawyer, that I, uh, recently had an article published in room, which is a space journal where we talk about enabling private sector success. And one of the big issues that we encounter time and time again, is that there's no stability in what will be funded from year to year and definitely not from administration to administration which makes it difficult for any agency or any company uh, relying on government funding to make plans for these big generational projects. And just the current budget environment in which we exist in the United States um, makes it very difficult for us to go after generational projects. And Mars, you know, to, to quote Jack Fisher when we, we interviewed him, uh, a few years ago, you know, Mars is a generational project, and it's something that's going to require a generational commitment. Um, so those are big questions that that affect and and really have significant impact on our space program. Kat, I can't agree with you more. Um, and I I believe uh, Robert Lightfoot made that observation during the hearings. I mean, we we've we've talked about this so many times, and and you you're not going to go ahead and be able to buy a BMW on a Chevrolet budget. It's just that simple, and um, it, we have to come to that realization that that has to happen. It's something that Lightfoot kind of intimated during the hearing as well to these guys, basically saying we can't do spectacular things in space if if the budget remains flat. I mean, one of the things that. Uh, was Representative Barra uh, hinted at too. Just that this whole concept of you know robbing Peter to pay Paul, basically going ahead taking money from uh, the uh, the technology side of the house and moving it over to the exploration budget, and that's been a, a practice in the past. And you just can't do that um, and expect to to get anywhere. That that you can't cannibalize one program in favor of another. Because, you know, you're, one of the things that Lightfoot was saying is we're trying to maintain a balanced portfolio. We really want to. And a, a couple of the uh, the congressmen observed that the, the NASA budget kind of looked like it was written by OMB. 
rather than uh, you know any any anybody in um, um, on the executive branch that really really thought it out, and that was one of their m- major complaints with that. I will say flat out and. Uh, for this audience, and 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 Kat, you're a political scientist. You you could probably you, you'll probably say I hope yes to this. Is pretty much any budget that leaves the executive branch is pretty much DOA when it goes over to the legislative side of the house. You know, so that that's one of the things I will emphasize. You know, in this entire budget, completely. There's a one of the things that did not come up, which kind of surprised me a little bit was the fact that five of the earth science programs were, you know, five really good ambitious earth science uh, projects were, 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 were canceled as a result of this budget. Um, they're still going on uh, because we haven't really gone into the 2019 budget yet. Uh, but, um, you know, they're slated for cancellation. And I, I, that's some, there's a couple of them, again, I've stated – that there, there's one I could sort of understand, but the other four, the, but the other four, I, I kind of scratch my head at, and I kind of wonder why. Is it because that maybe um, we can get the science in a better mode? But these were were really, you know, inexpensive satellites, and and I was really, really surprised that nobody in the hearing kind of brought that up. Um, one of the thing, there are two other things I want to mention really fast that that. Uh, came out of this thing. One was uh, the use of uh, uranium as a power source um, for a lot of these little nuclear reactors that we want to use for, uh, for, for future. And um, one of the things that there was some emphasis on was uh, right now we're literally using weapons-grade uranium. So a, a nation could go ahead and say, well, you know, we just want to enrich this uranium for our space program when in reality they're actually building it for, you know, other nefarious purposes. NASA's looking at ways to use low-grade uranium and not the weapons-grade uranium uh, for powering a lot of these little nuclear power plants that we would need to go to, uh, we would need to go to Mars and uh, for, for, as a power source. So that's one of the things that they are looking at. And Sawyer, one of the things that, uh, and again, we talked about this offline, but uh, one of the <laughs> yeah. things that, yeah, one of the things that we did talk about was the the Leaning Tower of KSC. <laughs> I still um, love that name. Yeah, the, uh, the the mobile launcher and some of the, you know, I mean, I know the crew access arm was just attached to that thing, but um, one of the, uh, the things that... Uh, um, was indeed mentioned was the fact that uh, did NASA think we should have two of these things constructed rather and you know, rather than adding on to the one that uh, is is there and affecting repairs so you know you can correct whatever whatever problems there is to uh, kind of bring people up to speed of what I'm talking about. Um, this was a mobile launch tower that was originally constructed for the Constellation program. Uh, this tower was initially constructed to service both Ares, Ares 1 and Ares 5, those two boosters. Uh, when Constellation was canceled, um, it was uh, kind of reconfigured to service the Block 1 SLS, but uh, SLS Block 2 will be a little bit higher than um, SLS Block 1. And uh, this tower would need to be reconfigured to service that that vehicle as well. 
and Lightfoot seemed to think that a second tower would be just an exorbitant cost that he can't swing right now. Would it give him flexibility? He said, absolutely. You know, is it something can he afford right now? The answer is probably not. So he's he's not going to go ahead and try to try to fix that. Uh, you know, try to set up this new this new mobile launcher rather than um, he'll go ahead and and set up uh, you know work with what he's got. Just an FYI, I I recall from the Apollo program there were several of these things for for Saturn V. Obviously, they're all scrapped by now and they're all gone, but. Uh, um, we didn't just have one. We had uh, we had several during uh, when we we were flying Saturn V. So um, basically, just hope that we don't blow it up. That's what it comes to, that it doesn't blow up and that it doesn't fall over and we're good. Yeah, you know that kind of tells you something, though. You know where where we are. And Cat again, um, this is this goes hand in hand with what you were saying. We we can't really run a world class space program on a on a nickel and dime budget and you can't plan if you don't have that infusion of money and you know you're you, you, you know you know you're going to get these funds period you can't plan ahead i mean i'm i'm not sure you know we've talked about the decadal studies before um there was some discussion about it today at the hearing where um did uh, uh lightfoot think that that was a good tool he said absolutely it's been a you know we've have deviated it deviated from it in the past he said a little bit but uh all in all we've used it as a pretty good roadmap it was sort of intimated that perhaps it might be a good tool to have on the on the exploration side of the house but um I, I don't know if we're going to get there or not. I mean, it's I, we've we've had this discussion on this program several times, and I still maintain it might be a good good tool to have for the uh, for the exploration program. Well, obviously, as we do every year with the budget, we're going to have to keep a close eye on. And every year, just when we think we get it, it uh, goes ahead and we get all these curveballs thrown in. So uh, we'll see what the final budget ends up looking like once it gets passed through. But uh, for now. There's a lot we have to keep an eye on. All right, so we've got a few quick things that we want to go over uh, before we end the show. First off, the Arecibo Telescope, one of the largest radio telescopes in the world located in Puerto Rico, now has new ownership. I know we had talked, I think it was last year or the year before, about right. some private person probably coming in and owning and taking ownership. But if I'm correct, it is not private. It's not to some billionaire. It's to a university. Yes, Sawyer. The University of Central Florida stepped up to the plate, and they are taking over operations. But when I heard that, I, I'll tell you, I, there, there was a lot of people jumping for joy around here. Arecibo is such a, a, a much-needed facility, not only for, uh, for radio astronomy, but uh, it's also looked at some you know, low-flying rocks that have gone ahead and, and made, uh, made their presence known around here. Uh, so it's been used for for you know analysis of asteroids and 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 so on. Um, it has also been used to send out a message back in the 1970s. It, it is truly a national treasure, and I was um, very very pleased to hear that uh, uh, UCF stepped up to to help manage the. Uh, the facility. Um, so apparently, this is going to be. I believe it's actually a partnership between NSF and the and the university. But uh, that means that the telescope will will remain uh, funded. And again, this is this is the biggest operational radio telescope on the face of the Earth. 
Um, the uh, Chinese one is is bigger than the Arecibo uh, Observatory, but it's not yet fully operational. It's still going through its uh, its uh, commissioning phase. So uh, they're not doing science just yet. And if I remember so, rightly, they were also still looking for someone to take over that telescope too. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's more of a personnel thing, whereas this is this was really, really a funding and personnel kind of thing. So um, also, I should say it's great to see that you know because there's concern over damage and everything after um, after the hurricane came through, and yes. uh, it's good to know that. Despite that, it's still going to keep functioning, and especially that a university is now behind it. Not only is it going to keep it going for scientists, but now it's an educational opportunity, even more so than it already was. So, I mean, this is—I don't think it could have gone to any better type of organization. Yeah, and and it it looks like uh, radio astronomy is going to flourish here, and uh, that's always a good thing. And uh, it's good to know that uh, you're going to have. You know, st a steady hand on uh, on the tiller, if you will, um, for this facility for uh, for the foreseeable future, and because that that facility at one point was really really in danger of uh, of shutting down, and uh, I'm glad that we've avoided that. Exactly. So excited to see more science coming out of there. Uh, another quick story we want to mention is another telescope. This one is. Well, not so much a telescope, but a probe. The Parker Solar Probe is scheduled to launch as of right now, July 31st, 2018, aboard a Delta IV heavy rocket from Cape Canaveral. This is the mission that NASA is calling will quote-unquote touch the sun. It will get within 4 million miles of the sun's surface, the closest any spacecraft has ever been. And you could also touch the sun, sort of. You can get your name aboard the Parker Solar Probe as you've been or able to Or the name of your enemy. <laughs> <laughs> that too <laughs> you can send whoever you like or dislike to go touch the sun uh as they've done with many missions in the past including a lot of the mars rovers and other probes like juno you can send your name to it we'll have a link to the exact way to do it in the show notes but the web address is go.nasa.gov slash hot ticket because this is the hot ticket item here to get your name on a mission to the sun. The deadline to apply is April 27th, 2018. Yeah, there's a cool video that uh, Bill Shatner did, um, a.k.a. James T. Kirk, uh, to try to uh, plug the uh, um, the effort. And uh, I dare say my name is already on there. Um, As is mine. Yep, and my, uh, you know... As I is Catra Bison's. Yep. <laughs> and uh, um, some late family members... You know, on board, and uh, maybe, just maybe, there may be uh, two lovebirds on there, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, but uh, definitely going to want to get your name on that. Again, April 27th, 2018 is the deadline, so if you're listening to us after then, sorry, there will be another mission, but if not, get your name on board. Again, we'll link it in the show notes, but that's go.nasa.gov slash hot ticket. All right, now... Uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, holy mackerel, you guys really <laughs> responded. We joked of, oh, we're going to get all the hate mail. Apparently, we weren't joking. Uh, again, like I mentioned, that's probably the most viewer engagement we've had since Shuttle Era, and that was like a season three and four, and we're in season 10. You were really passionate about our responses to this. So I'm going to set a timer for five minutes, 
And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to give us the opportunity. We're not going to correct anything that we said and change it, but we want to just clarify our point of view. All right. Give me one moment here while I get the timer set up. I'm legitimately <laughs> setting a timer. All right. Here we go. So first off, I want to clarify my position here in that having been at the launch, it was spectacular to witness. It was beautiful. It was amazing. That rocket is powerful. It's the most powerful rocket in use in the world today. And it is so great to finally see it launch. Yes, it's been a long time coming. But then again, as we mentioned, in comparison to certain other rockets, that was a pretty short development time. The one thing I think all of us have to say with this is the rocket is spectacular. What SpaceX did with that mission, landing both side boosters, is ridiculously insane and game-changing for the industry. The rocket and the cost that it will have for launch is game-changing for the industry. However, I think we all just think that Elon launching his rocket into space was a bit over the top. I get for the first Falcon 9, he used a wheel of cheese as a Monty Python reference, which was cute, clever, again, engaging, but that was small and in Earth orbit. This is a car going into orbit around the sun, and I know we're big fans of uh, space debris discussions here, so I'll finish my minute and give it to you guys. I would just like to clarify that I have legitimate criticisms of SpaceX, um, and you don't have to agree with my criticisms. Everyone is, is welcome to have their own opinion, and I appreciate hearing everyone's opinions. Um, like Sawyer, I think what SpaceX is doing is fantastic, and I want them to push toward space as is is an everyday thing. A launch is an everyday occurrence. The industry is affordable. I want that, and I think what they're doing to change the industry is amazing. Um, I love to watch any rocket launch, and that includes every SpaceX rocket, um, and I want every launch to be successful. But I do think that there are some things which SpaceX are doing which are concerning because they are following a pattern uh, that we've seen before that ended with real loss and cost of human life, uh, specifically when it comes to work culture. Um, you know, they're ambitious. They want to change the industry. They want to see things done. They want to do it quickly. Well, we've seen that happen before with the shuttle program. And so I think that, you know, we've seen some missteps and we've seen some mishaps from SpaceX and every company when testing a rocket or doing something new goes through these things. And I think it would do a real disservice, um, not only to myself as a critical thinker, but to our viewers to not talk about these things honestly. And just want to remind everyone that you can both admire a company and also think they need to make some changes. Um, at the same time, you don't you don't have to be full on uh, in love with something uh, in order to support it. You can, and I am. I support SpaceX, and I want them to do amazing things. I want them to take risks, but I want them to take risks that are smart, and I want them to make sure that as much as possible they minimize any losses because eventually it's not going to be Tesla Roadsters on a rocket. It's going to be humans. And in space, it's not if something happens, it's when something happens. And companies are really measured by how they respond to those, those you know, sobering incidents that happen. And I certainly hope that that never happens. Um, but the reality is, is space is still hard. Space is still dangerous. 
and I hope to see that um, some lessons can be learned before the learning of those lessons are forced upon SpaceX. So my my two cents is that I, I think SpaceX is doing great things, and I hope that they continue to do great things. Um, I hope that there's some change in the work culture, not only, you know, the amount of work, uh, but who's, who's working for them, uh, and some of the decisions they make uh, from a, even from a PR standpoint. Um, but again, I think SpaceX is doing great things, and I want them to be better, which is why I voice the criticisms that I do. Kat, I'm just going to echo what you uh, essentially said real fast, but um, one of the things that uh, and you have mentioned several times, and actually I cited you in my, uh, one of my criticisms, was the fact that uh, you know, as far as this roadster was concerned, planetary protection seemed to go out the window. And uh, uh, NASA knew admitted, you were going to touch on that, so I left yeah, it for you. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Lisa Pratt, who is the new planetary protection officer uh, over at NASA, indicated that uh, you know this one of the things that she wants to avoid um, any more roadsters in space or anything like that. She really want because they were not really brought. NASA was not really brought in on that, and uh, you know. The, there is a potential contamination risk. But to echo your points, um, I, I think uh, we've, we've learned a, a harsh lesson too with shuttle and dare I say with Apollo. Um, Apollo 1 taught us a lot and I'm hoping one of the things that we, we, we do here is when, you know, say your friend makes a mistake or, or has got your shoe, his or her shoe untied or is something's amiss on the ensemble, we basically say, hey, you know, your shoe's untied, or, you know, hey, this isn't straight, you might want to straighten it out, and, oh, okay, cool, you know, and, and we alert people um, to what, you know, something's wrong. Well, that's what we did. We alerted here to say, hey, you know, congratulations. We weren't kind of trying to, to rain on the parade but we were also trying to take this as an opportunity to point out you know, that all was not well there. And when you don't say that the emperor isn't wearing any clothes and he's not, are you really doing you know, the emperor a, a, a service? And we pointed out some things that we, we saw were, were correct and some of the things that weren't. And... It's not like we were playing, you know, don't pile on the rabbit here. We were actually trying to point out that there are issues here. But all in all, I think our position is we want everyone to succeed in this thing. We said that in the last program. We want SpaceX to succeed because as they succeed, space exploration succeeds. We want to see ULA do its thing. Everybody's got their own implementation. It's keeping the entire industry smarter. And that's what we want to see. We want to see the space launch industry flourish. And there is room at the table for everybody. But it, it, it exactly. So I'll, I'll just And leave hold it that. people accountable for the tax dollars that they're spending. You know, I, I just filed my taxes today. And, you know, see that number go down as like the tax that I owe. And, you know, SpaceX is a private company, uh, but they're a private company who receives a lot of government money uh, through contracts and uh, through contracts for launches, but also contracts for development. Um, so I want to see them accountable to the large investment that our government is making in their company. 
Exactly. And one other thing I want to address is a lot of people say that sometimes we're being harsher to SpaceX than we are to some of the others. And my response to that is we don't try to be, but sometimes we are. And why? Because they're doing things that no other company is doing. They're doing things that are breaking boundaries that have never been done in the space industry before that, you know, could backfire. But if they succeed, will change the industry forever. And they are. And because they're doing such extreme things, sometimes our criticism is going to be a little more harsh. We're less harsh on ULA because they're doing the same launches they've always been doing. SpaceX is trying all this new stuff. So, again, like you were mentioning, Kat, and you were mentioning, Gene, it's about holding them accountable, especially as we do these things that have never been done before and making sure they do them smartly. And once they do them and succeed with them, uh, then keeping it up and, again, not getting to status quo. Hey, in 30 years from now... You know, talking space season 40, <laughs> there'll be a new company that we're, you know, SpaceX will be like, oh, SpaceX, you know, they're good. We don't yeah, have to worry now. about they're them fine. on launches. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's those new kids on the block. What are, what kind of rockets are they blowing up? You know, cold fusion powered rockets. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our time right there. I think that's yeah, a perfect way to end that. One other thing. If we don't bring these things up and don't put this up in a blue sky environment like I try to keep the, this program to. We are not doing a service to you, the listener. So we need to go ahead and make sure that we have all kinds of different points of view. And that's what we try to do here. So It'd be boring if we were all saying, I agree, I agree, I agree. Okay, next story. That gets boring. That's the whole point. It's a free and open discussion of all things space. So... And SpaceX, you want to have anyone on our show, we are always happy to welcome you. Absolutely. Of course. We're open to, you know, we're, we're, we're we promise we don't bite. We've tried. Nope. <laughs> Can't say we haven't <laughs> tried. Let me put that out there. But yes, SpaceX, you're welcome to come on and defend and promote and do whatever you want because SpaceX. Yeah, we're happy. <laughs> Elon, hey, I if don't... you're listening... <laughs> Who knows? They, they do so welcome. many crazy things now. You never know. But yeah, Elon, <laughs> you're welcome uh, on our show anytime. And I would love to hear what you have to say. Mailbag at TalkingSpaceOnline.com is our email. Tweet us at TalkingSpace. Our Facebook page and Google Plus are all Talking Space. You can reach us there. You've got to contact us page on our website. You can email me personally. So you're at TalkingSpaceOnline.com. How about that, Elon? I'll, I'll take it in my personal account. And with that, that brings this episode to its conclusion. I'd like to thank everyone out there for joining us. I'd like to thank Elon Musk for, in the future, joining us now. Um, <laughs> hey, in Elon time, it'll be season 20. Yeah. <laughs> oh! I would like to thank those that did join us tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. Oh, always always a blast here, Sawyer. And um, I just want to give two shout-outs. One against to, to Sarah McDonnelly. Hang in there. We're, we're thinking about you and your family. And to uh, Shannon Blackburn, a.k.a. Shannon Moore. Um, She's known as a geek mom on Twitter. She's also having a her mom's also having some uh, some medical difficulties. So we want to go ahead and give you a shout out to to Shannon. We're thinking about you and uh, a shout out to everybody else on the East Coast that's been affected by this darn blizzard and nor'easters here. Hang in there. Power's coming back. Exactly. And uh, thank you all for joining us. Kat Robinson. I am always happy to be on the show and glad uh, to be able to share all this with you and and for all the interaction we've had about the topics in the past several weeks. Oh, yeah. Again, thank you for sending us messages. Keep sending them to us. We love it. You see, as many of you have seen, we try and respond to as many, if not all of them, as possible, whether positive or negative, and we've responded to both. So uh, thank you for sending those. Uh, keep them coming. 
And we hope you'll join us next episode. Until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are. That launch going successfully and delivering it into its correct orbit. So hiss with that. Let's try that again. Boo for real.